Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 253. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of Lend at Fintech. Today's episode is sponsored by Lend at Fintech USA. The world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking is going virtual. It's happening online September 29th through October 1st. This year, with everything that's been going on, there will be so much to talk about. It will likely be our most important show ever. So join the fintech community online this year, where you will meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. Lend at Fintech, lending and banking connected. Sign up today at lendit.com slash USA. Today on the show, I am delighted to welcome Marwan Forsley. He is the CEO and founder of Veeam. Now, Veeam's an interesting company. They're focused on business-to-business payments, or as he likes to say, Venmo for businesses. And they've got a very technology-centric approach. And we get we get into that in some detail. We go through an example of how it works. We talk about the use cases. But the company also does more than just payments. They have started up a working capital product. They're also involved in the Paycheck Protection Program, which we also talk about. We talk about the blockchain technology that sort of they use or the five different rails they have the, to actually send payments. I thought that was fascinating. Uh, and we talk about what's next for the company. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Marlon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay. So I'd like to get this thing started by giving some background. And I know this is not your first rodeo, so why don't you uh, give the listeners a little bit of background about what you what you did before Veeam. Thank you. Yeah, I started Veeam back in uh, 2014. I used to run e-commerce for Western Union. Uh, I got into Western Union through an acquisition of a company called eBuildMe, which I found an insult to them. And then prior to that, I was in another startup that ended up with Nokia. So I spent uh, my career back and forth between startups and very large companies. <laughs> and now you're, now you're back in a startup again. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's addictive, I guess. Right, right. So then maybe let's just take a step back and, and talk about Veeam and how do you describe it? What do you guys do? We uh, make it really simple for businesses to pay and get paid around the world. It's a wire replacement service. Simplest way to describe it is like Venmo for businesses globally. So for example, you're in uh, California, you want to send money to a company in China. You log in, all you need to do is enter the email address of the receiver in China, the amount of money you owe, and that's it. The receiver gets a message, hey, you're getting paid. This is the US dollar amount, shows you the local currency. When you accept the payment, we pick up money from one country, deposit money in another country. They have, they have to link their bank account, I imagine, right, to get that money. Yeah. yeah. You, you link up your bank account on both ends, on the sending side and the receiving side. Right. And essentially, we do this in 110 countries, 50-plus currencies. We have about 200,000 businesses that uh, signed up to use, to use me. Okay. Okay. So, and you say it's a wire replacement, then, I mean, pretty much there's a huge variety of companies that will use wires. Um, yeah. And so is your target market like just anybody who sends anything internationally? Is that, who, who is and your and, and actually domestically, I mean, uh, we have quite a lot of customers that use us in the U.S. to move money from California to New York, for example. 
But instead of using, you know, check or bank wire, they use us because it's a lot simpler than, than wire. So the type of use cases customers have, they, they use us to pay suppliers. They pay us, they use us to pay labor, like contractor payments. Uh, they use us to move money between their own bank accounts. And sometimes they use us to collect money from buyers that they have around the world. That's the various use cases we've, we've seen with Veeam. Okay, so that's that. That you know, you really you said you got two hundred thousand businesses. I can see that you uh, you could scale that. You know, you look at you look at Venmo, PayPal. I mean, PayPal has like I don't know a couple hundred million uh, mm-hmm. businesses, I think, or, or a couple not businesses, a couple hundred million uh, users. Yeah, accounts. Yes. So you've, you've certainly got a lot of runway. I, I imagine that uh, you know that you can do it. So um, so I'm curious about. You know the fact that we've got we've had this sudden economic downturn. There's, I mean, is this is this really impacted you guys as well? Because we've got, you know, there's just less commerce happening. Um, obviously, less international commerce uh, as well. So, how have you been impacted the last uh, last few weeks? The business has had amazing performance for the past okay. three months during COVID on all measures. Really, you know, accounts, revenue, volume. And uh, I would describe it as follows. Uh, COVID created two different worlds. Uh, One world is doing quite well, and the other is struggling, and it's going to take some time for it to recover. Right. And it all boils down to the formula itself, like six feet apart. And so if you're required of anything that requires physical exchanges of goods or services, that world is going to take some time. Right. So that's like physical retail and travel and, you know, all the things where you really depend on people next to each other to exchange the goods or, or the service. My world, I have a lot of e-commerce merchants, a lot of okay. online businesses, a lot of supply chain. And that world benefited actually from the disruption uh, because the sales shifted online. And so what happens is that their business is picked up and I, you know, we, we benefited from that. So again, it depends on what segment you're in, but you know, e-commerce has done phenomenally well this uh, past past quarter. And I'm not I'm not alone. I mean, PayPal had the same guidance to the street. Uh, ADN, Shopify, you know, Amazon. I mean, look at all these businesses. They're all they're all on the high end at the moment with the with the public markets. So that's a broader uh, phenomenon that's going on. Right, right. Okay. Okay. And so that, that's really interesting then. You've got, and I imagine that, I mean, I, I'd love to sort of talk about the, the interface and how, because I mean, obviously everyone's got their accounting system. Most of these small businesses mm-hmm. are going to have, you know, QuickBooks or NetSuite or, or, or Zero or something like that. Mm-hmm. How does it actually work? Do you have, can you, can you do this from inside these accounting suites or do you need to go out to Veeam and just as an interface? So tell us how, how the tech works. Yeah, so we, we're plugged in to various accounting packages. QuickBooks, Zero, and NetSuite. We're plugged into to Magento, uh, to Zapier, um, other systems as well. So we, we've always had this belief that uh, we should go to you and live in the context of the environment that you work with. Right. as opposed to the other way around. And so, for example, if you're within NetSuite and you have a bill that you need to pay, the bill shows up, Veeam is a button on the bill. You essentially connect Veeam as one of the applications to your environment. And so you click on it, 
and we take the data from NetSuite, we pass it to Veeam through the API, and then we send the payment out to the recipient. So that's an example of a model where you do it from the context you're in, from the environment you're in. Right. Within NetSuite, when the bill shows up, you do it on that bill. And then the nice thing about that, that model is when the payment is completed, all the status of the transaction is reported back to NetSuite. So it closes it out for you. So right. instead of manually marking it, you know, that this transaction has been paid or this invoice has been completed, you can synchronize it. Just the data that's coming back to Veeam, we send it back to NetSuite. Right, right. That's, that's an example of how it all works. Make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, we, we have to send the occasional international payments and what we've been using is TransferWise. Uh, mm-hmm. So maybe why, why are you guys better? What's, what's different between, between Veeam and TransferWise? Yeah, so TransferWise tends to be more consumer than business. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tailor more to the business environment. And business environments require integrations into accounting systems payment approvals, account approvals. You have accountants managing different accounts. So the entire software allows for that configuration to happen. You can do single transactions. You can do mass where you upload a file and it sends it to a whole bunch of uh, customers. And then also the way Veeam works, we have both the sender and the receiver. So what happens, basically you can use the system to either send or request money. It's bi-directional. Right. So TransferWise is a remittance model where you send money, there's no request capability. So, I mean, there is, but it's not a model where you have the receiver on that platform that's invoicing or requesting, it's mainly sent. Right. So these are all examples of differences between the TransferWise system and the Veeam system. Our model is also dependent uh, on an email. That's all you need to send money. Their model is a bit heavier on the user experience and that you need to get the receiver's bank account information and bank details before right. you send money out. Yeah, yeah, got it. And I know when we, when we chatted recently, you were talking about how, you know, this is, you have a two-sided marketplace and a lot of these customers have one-sided marketplace. Yep. And, uh, you know, because I imagine when you, when someone sends, you know, a payment to, a, to another company, you suddenly get the possibility of having this company or that they're going to have to actually, to accept the money, they have to at least create an account, right? So you suddenly have a new user you can market to. Is that, is that kind of how you've grown the business? Yes, that, that, that is correct. And, and that's because there's also value to the receiver. So one of the things that happens in Bankwire world is when you send the money, first of all, you as the sender have to get a whole bunch of information on the receiver their receiver's name and address, business name and address, currency per, SWIFT code, intermediary bank account. Then you have to do it before cutoff time. And then when you send the payment, you really don't know what happens to that payment until the receiver tells you, hey, I got your money. And then it's equally painful to the receiver because the receiver doesn't know when they're going to get paid. So what what happens is they got to go check the bank account all the time to make sure that there's money. And when the money shows up in the bank account, they really don't know sometimes uh, what's going to happen. Like, how do I take that money and figure out which money belongs to what, what invoice? Because the, you know, the statement details, when the money is deposited in the bank, there isn't that much information given to you that this money belongs to that invoice. 
And so what we do with Veeam is we add benefit to the receiver. So the receiver then is able to track the transaction. So they see money coming to them. They watch it come to them. And then we also give them preferential pricing on foreign exchange. And then they can reconcile it so that they know what money belongs to what invoice. And then they got the data and the payment together. So when you receive the payment, you're receiving the payment along with the details of the payment, invoice, contract, whatever it is that, need to, that needs to be passed from the sender to the receiver. Mm-hmm. Because generally when you're doing bank wire, you have three different systems that are siloed. You have the information, the data itself, the, the invoice that goes back and forth between sender and receiver on email or other systems. There's the payment itself that happens on banks and there's the accounting systems where you close things right. and reconcile them. Right. So what we're doing here is we're marrying these three things together so that you can originate from your accounting system the payment and the data come together, they go together, the receiver picks it up, they know which payment belongs to what invoice, they're able to track the transaction and get better exchange rates. Right, got it. And so I mean, you're talking businesses here, so I mean, a lot of businesses send very large payments around. I mean, are you, how, I mean, given the fact that you're a completely, you know, online play, is how much can you go up to and what's sort of a typical transaction size? You know, typical transaction is wire replacement. So it's somewhere between, you know, 5,000 to 10,000 is the bulk of the payments. Right. We've handled transactions as low as like $500 or sometimes $100 for like expense payments or commissions. And we've handled transactions that are very large, like, you know, a few million, 5 million, 6 million um, that are, uh, you know, for container payments, for large shipments. So, you know, it, it varies quite a bit. There isn't a, a limit, but what happens is the more, the bigger the amount, the, the more KYC and, sure. and KYB required. Right, right, understood, yeah. So you, you don't just do payments though. I noticed that uh, you also have uh, a working capital product um, mm-hmm. or, you know, for yep. loans. So tell us, why did you create that product and tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so you know, one of the things that, that we noticed when we were talking to customers is that working capital is a pain point to them because that's another silo process because you know generally uh, they have payments somewhere and then they go apply for you know uh, working capital lines or credit lines somewhere else with generally with lenders or banks and then a good chunk of that data required to approve a loan is actually payment data and KYC data which we already got on you so what we're trying to do is basically take your KYC history on Veeam, your payment history, and essentially automate underwriting decisions, but in the context of the transaction. So for example, if I have an invoice that I need to pay, I can have the example of that. I have the invoice, it's $10,000. I can either pay it now in full, or I can pay it in six monthly installments. Essentially what we do is we take that data, we pass it to partners, they underwrite it, and then essentially you get to pay in installments. Right. The flip side of that, for example, another use case, when the invoice is created, you can also have the invoice paid on the spot, which is a factoring type product. Right. And then we can have the lender underwrite it. So our role is, in our case, we're handling the customer, we have the customers on the platform, 
and we work with partners to underwrite. We originate essentially the loans to the various parties we work with. Right, right. And is this? I mean, I mean, obviously, this is a the lending business is a, is a monstrously big big market. I mean, is this something that you're you're really focusing on your existing customers? It sounds like. Are you? Is this something that you're going to scale up at some point? We we think of it more like payments is a really good way to establish a relationship with the business, with the customer, and you accomplish the most important task, which is earning their trust. Right. Once you move their money, you, they basically trust you. And with that, then we start providing them other things that can benefit them. It only makes sense when the data and the payments are all integrated together. Right. So that helps you do something with Veeam that you cannot do somewhere else. If you do it somewhere else, you, you do it, but there's friction with it. Right. So we're not necessarily like going into lending on our own. We're more like upselling right. to accounts that have a payment relationship with Veeam. And we're basically using that data to help you with lending decisions. Right. So a good example of that or a good analogy would be Square. Square started with Square Payments. Yep. Then they added cars, they added capital. And capital is a, you know, it's a good chunky business for Square. So that that that's a good example or or a good good uh, analogy. Right, right, got it. And you know, I'm I'm on I'm on your website on my other screen here, and I also notice you've got uh, you've got a big uh, your pay paycheck protection program you know, offering here. So tell us a little bit about that. What you know, I, I wouldn't have thought I wouldn't have thought logically you guys would be heavily involved in that. But uh, tell us about you know, why you created that uh, program. So at the beginning of COVID we started talking to customers and they were asking us more questions about the Veeam Capital product because there was a big jump in lending needs because of the market. Right. Except that a lot of the lenders started having issues because of the market. And so at the same time, the SBA started the program with the PPP project. And what's interesting about that whole setting you know, what's required for PPP was basically authentication of accounts. So you got KYC and KYB, the customer. You got to collect data to pass to SBA. And you got to essentially manage your workflow. So interesting enough, that's what we do with payments. <laughs> so we take KYC and KYB history on you to get you to use the system to pay. That's why we have to KYC you. And then we're managing a workflow to, to pay or request a payment. It's actually a workflow. And, uh, and we're very used to collecting documents from you to then essentially use that data to process the payments. So it was not necessarily a big you know, procedure that required a very different set of expertise to go you know, do a PPP program. So what we ended up doing is we essentially took the initial data from the customer and passed it to the banks, and the bank was actually the one underwriting and managing the interactions with SBA. So just to be clear, we're not the lender. Right. We're right. simply in, you know, like an agent that passed the information to the partners, and then they uh, underwrite the, the loan. Yeah. I think I read somewhere, I think I mean, Cross River Bank was one of the banks you guys are working with, right? Is that, is that the primary one you, you work with, or do you have a whole range of them? That was the primary. We, we, have, we had other ones, but... Uh, Crossover was the main one we worked with. 
for, right. for the PPP program. Right, right. I know. They, they, I'm actually going to get those guys on the show here in a little bit. They've yeah. done an amazing job uh, with so many people for the PPP. Yeah. Okay, so then I want to talk a little bit. We started talking about the technology, but we didn't. I wanted to, um, I, I know that, uh, you know, you use you know, this is a blockchain-based system, right? Or, you know, or, you know often, you know, cryptocurrency type, uh, the, the core of what you guys are doing is is based on that. So maybe, no, you don't mention it. I mean, there's one little link to blockchain on your website. I can't find it pretty much anywhere else. So tell us about, and you've been, you've been doing, you've been around for a long time, obviously post-Bitcoin, but uh, still tell us a little bit about the, you know, your, your kind of experience with blockchain. Yeah, so we, we're quite versed in uh, blockchain matters and, and crypto matters. We've been using that technology since, since we started, since 2015. We used it uh, to, to do a synthetic cross from one currency to another. So the way the system works, essentially, for every transaction, there's a router that routes between different rails. We call that multi-rail. And so we have five different methods of moving money from point A to point B. We have our own bank accounts, which is the default method. We use uh, cards. We can move money to real time to an account associated with your debit card. We work with third-party payment providers. We have blockchain and we have Swift as well for very large transactions or long tail currencies. So in the context of blockchain, we, we basically scan the various cryptos and figure out which one is the best to work with, which ends up being like the bulk of it is Bitcoin. That's where the volume is. So what we do is we go from US dollar to Bitcoin to Bitcoin to pesos, for example. I'm using if I'm sending money to Mexico, that's what ends up happening. So Bitcoin becomes a way to cross from US dollar to pesos. Now, we don't really watch the Bitcoin price and we don't carry inventory, we go in and out. Right. And we do it so that uh, regardless of what the price of the currency, we use it as a transportation mechanism to take US dollar and convert it into pesos on the other end. The system is agnostic to all the rails and actually the system is agnostic to any of the cryptos. It simply scans for whoever has the most volume and just picks it up. In practice, like the bulk of the volume is on Bitcoin. So that's what ends up happening. So does that mean the bulk of the payments you're processing internationally goes, goes through Bitcoin? No, no, no. So the, the Bitcoin is one of the, like crypto is one of the rails. We have, we have five different ones. Okay. So within crypto, the bulk of it is like, I mean, not like all of it is Bitcoin. So it crosses on, on Bitcoin. Just to be clear, I'm not, I'm not holding. Yeah, Bitcoin. I realize that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, so, uh, but so, so so when you say you're agnostic, you're agnostic on the channel to actually transmit this money, yeah. What's what's the deciding factor? Is it is it just purely a cost play? That uh, what's the no, no, it's, it's uh, it, it so the inputs to the model is basically the size of the transaction, currency per country per, and then uh, when do you need it by? Like what 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 time do you want the transaction to land on the receiving end? Right. And so it goes from anywhere from real time to same day to next day. And sometimes depending on the country, if it's really long tail, can go longer. So it, it sort of, these are the inputs. Now, what you get from crypto that's different than others, 
in that the transactions I can cross from once I have US dollar and I want to convert to pesos, that cross is basically near real time because I'm going in and out. And the other thing is because it happens on the blockchain, I can track the payment. I can Google map my payment. Again, I know exactly where the payment is at. And then also there's no banking hours. You can do transactions in the middle of the night. And uh, you can tell the customer like, hey, your money is in the country when the bank's open, you can have it. At least the, the, you know, the customer knows. And so it derives benefits that are different than what you typically get from the other systems. Right, right. Okay, okay, that makes sense. And, and we don't, and, and just to be, uh, just to answer your question though, we, we, we used to have it more prominent on, on our communication, except that when we were dealing with customers, like one thing that I that we learned doing this is like customers don't really care about payments. They right. Just wanna, <laughs> they just want the money. Their, <laughs> yeah. They just want to ship their t-shirts or boxes or whatever they're doing. That's fundamentally what they want. The last thing on their mind is actually how payments work. Right. And so we we kind of you, you know uh, simplified the communication to basically explain how we send the payment. When do you need it by versus the mechanics of actually how it moves? Right, right. Okay, okay. So then, what, what's what's your um, what's your business model? How are you are you make, how are you making money? So we we make money a variety of ways. So foreign exchange is one of them. When you cross currencies from US dollar to euro to pound to RMB, we make money on foreign exchange. We also make money on fees for domestic payments and for payments that originate in US dollar and stay in US dollar internationally. So same currency transactions. Uh, So that domestically is a dollar per transaction and cross-border USD is $20 per transaction. We also make money uh, origination fees to uh, lending partners Mm -hmm. or bringing transactions where the customer wants to underwrite their, their invoices. So make money that way. Right, right. Okay. Okay. So basically, if if I'm sending money out of the country, I'm paying $20. If I'm sending money inside the country, it's $1. If, you, if you're sending money uh, internationally, it's free. The receiver decides which way to take the money. If they decide to keep it in US dollar, we charge the receiver $20. And if they choose to take it in local currency, there's no extra charge. That's it. So it's, a, it's a, the sender, unless you're sending domestically, the sender is free all the time. Right. Got it. Got it. Okay. Thank you for the clarification. So, Matt, can you give us a sense of, of, of what scale you're at? I mean, how many transactions you're doing a day? or I mean, Just give us some sense on the scale. Uh, we, we have about just over 200,000 businesses. It doubles pretty much like every year. The, the system doubles in size. So that gives you an idea of, of, of the scale of it. And a good chunk of the reason why it doubles because, you know, the, the way it propagates, because every time there's a sender, there's also a receiver. And so sometimes the sender becomes a receiver and the receiver becomes a sender. Mm-hmm. So on its own, actually, uh, it, it does propagate. And so roughly every 12 months, the number of accounts double in size. Right. Okay. And are you, are you like, do you have a... Like, what's, how do you market then? Is you, are you really relying on this sort of network effect to, to grow or, or do you have really targeted marketing programs you're running with? 
So, uh, you know, a good chunk of the accounts come from the network, right. from our customers. Like that's actually the majority of, of the accounts. Then there's the, the new ones tend to be online is the biggest channel. We get them through the web. We have a sales team as well for the larger accounts. And we get a bunch of accounts from partners, QuickBooks, Zero, Nesweet, like from the various partnership channels. But the probably the majority of the accounts come from customers that are happy using the system that they introduce it to other customers who then themselves like it and bring it forward to other customers. Right. That's the larger uh, portion of how the system grows. Right. And to be clear, it's, it's a, uh, you know, it's a web-based system, right? You, you like, there's no, is, is there a Veeam app or is it all just web-based? It's web-based, but it's, it's adaptive to mobile phones. So the language that we write in all the, screens are adaptable to whatever you know device you have it's not a native app where you download it right but it, it has a pretty optimized experience to, to your mobile phone right right okay okay so then so last question then what i mean the, I, I, it's really you've got a really interesting company here and obviously you can uh this could become a you know the potential is massive but when you look down look say just say the next 12 months i mean what's uh what are you focused on so we're looking at more countries, more currencies, more integrations. Customers love integrations. So like all the work we're doing with QuickBooks and Zero, we have a list of packages that customers uh, want us to integrate into. We're definitely interested in uh, partnerships in general, not only to distribute the product, but also to add value to the, to the experience. So lending in particular is of interest to us. Mm-hmm. We have a particular view that you know, payments and lending are tight. They need each other. Yep. Um, so, you know, in general, you know, when you're servicing the customer, the next thing that they need after payments is lending. And when they go to ask for any of the lending products, you need payments as a history uh, hmm. so that you know whether you can actually underwrite or not, because that's where you get the, the historical value of the account. So these products are tied together, and so we, we, we are definitely interested in working with partners to figure out how do we best optimize that experience to the user. Right. Okay. Well, best of luck, Marlon. It's been fascinating uh, chatting with you today. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Okay. My pleasure. You know, I completely agree with Ma when, when he said there that you know, payments and lending are inextricably linked. You, you're talking about the, the two largest verticals in fintech payments and lending. Uh, and they're not, they're not really staying as separate verticals anymore. I mean, we've seen that with Square, with Square Capital. I mean, PayPal has a very large lending operation now. And, and on the other side, you see, you know, Cabbage getting into payments, you know, Fundbox is getting into payments. And so we're seeing this blurring of the lines. And that combined with this trend towards embedded finances where you're going to see even non-financial companies offering payments capabilities, offering lending capabilities. And we're seeing that already with, with companies like Shopify. And it's, it's going to be super interesting to see how this trend continues. And, and Veeam is, is well positioned here. I mean, they're really building their business with payments, but lending is going to provide a, a good source of, of revenue, it sounds like, going forward. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was sponsored by Lend at Fintech USA. The world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking is going virtual. It's happening online September 29 through October 1st. 
This year, with everything that's been going on, there will be so much to talk about. It will likely be our most important show ever. So join the fintech community online this year, where you will meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. Lend at Fintech, lending and banking connected. Sign up today at lendit.com slash USA.